Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and we have a fantastic interview subject for you in this episode. This is episode number 25, Master Storyteller David Nordell, author of Giving Back, Life and Leadership from the Farm to the Combat Zone and Beyond. It's going to weave an engaging spell of powerful leadership lessons. Now, in case you're new here, welcome to Thought Leadership Studio. What is this podcast about? Well, to answer that, you've got to answer when is thought leadership needed? And this requires investigating a little bit into the sayings, give the people what they want, and the customer is always right. Well, thought leadership is needed when there's an audience who wants a benefit that you can provide, but they limit the benefit by how they think you or your organization should give it to them through your leadership, through your product, through your service. But your expertise knows a different way that's not necessarily what they expect. So by strategically leading an audience to embrace your new way, which I call your thought leadership position, you can build loyalty, engagement, follower growth, increased sales, and market share. And using the internet for this thought leadership separates your content from the, what you might call the fluff, the copycat content that gets drowned out in the crowd of similar voices. So instead of being lost in the herd, your message gets heard. And having the skills to do it well means you can draw from your creative inspiration to develop a powerful, unique message and a voice that's seen as distinctive, that resonates with your prospects, and that moves people to positive action and results. And, and say, what if you want those benefits, but you don't yet have that special way or that thought leadership position to lead people to? Well, the method of strategic thought leadership can help with that too, because it offers methods of insight to discover what people would love but nobody's invented or articulated yet, has methods of inspiration for accessing the creative imagination for inventing it, and has methods of impact to bring it to life in effective media. And by effective, I mean it gets a stronger response, whether that means faster audience building, more leads, better conversion, or higher sales. So when you hear, give the people what they want, think, give them what's really important to them in a way they don't expect, and lead them to embrace this way and expect it in the future to get more value. When you see the saying, the customer is always right, think, 
Yeah, they're right in terms of their higher values, but they may not yet know how to best satisfy them or the right to desire what they want, but they'll likely want even more once I'm my organization teaches them to set new standards. So Thought Leadership Studio is not just a podcast, it's an imaginary place where leading minds go to design their strategic thought leadership, the best and brightest. So we like to feature the best and brightest models of excellence. And master storyteller David Nordell is absolutely a model of excellence in storytelling. It's a model of excellence in not just communicating, but conveying through his integrity, adherence to higher values, a shining example of principle-centered leadership. And I love his book, Giving Back, Life and Leadership from the Farm to the Combat Zone and Beyond. And I've got a link to it on the episode page. So if you're listening to this on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, you're on the right page. Just scroll down, the link will be there. If you are on an app, then look on the episode description. There will be a link to the episode page, link to all of David's stuff, his website, his book, and also the free offers that we offer to listeners of the podcast. It includes a marketer's guide to strategic thought leadership, which is a nice guide to better understanding the building blocks of building your own leadership position and building a methodology of building an audience centered around that message and the free consultation that I offer, which is a 30-minute brainstorming session. If you want some coaching, you want some consultation, you just want to brainstorm around finding some breakthroughs in what you want to achieve next. Love to do it. It's there. But let's jump right into the interview with David. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe. If you haven't given a rating yet, please give a rating. And here we go. Enjoy. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm Chris McNeil, host of Thought Leadership Studio, and I'm here with Dave Nordell, author of Giving Back. Life and Leadership from the Farm to the Combat Zone and Beyond. Welcome, Dave. Hey, thanks, brother. I, you know, Chris, I appreciate you having me on. You know, we had a little chat here before we started, and uh, uh, I hope this uh, I hope this resonates with the audience. Um, uh, I'm, I'm excited to to go through uh, go through some stuff here. So let's go. Let's go. You got some empowering stories to tell. You know, and what is what would you call one of your most powerful stories as a reference experience for your own personal values? Something that really is meaningful to oh, your experience yeah. that changed your life in a positive way. And it still stands as a pillar inside of you that you, that you draw strength from. Sure. This is, this is actually in the book. Um, great question, by the way. This is actually in the book. You know, you know, I did, you know, to, to a little bit about me. You know, I did 30 years in the military 
And I retired at the highest enlisted rank possible. And as being a command chief master sergeant, uh, you're you're in charge of the morale, welfare, and and supplying and equipping and training of you know thousands of people. Uh, you do that in conjunction usually with a general officer uh, and whatever your mission set is. I grew up on a dairy farm in California in the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the, the, the hence tense the, the the farm life. I think everything that you need to know in life you can learn on the farm if you pay enough attention. And the the book does a lot of corollaries of the times when I was young and things I saw on the farm and how that directly translated into my leadership life uh, to include building empathy, uh, discovering people and learning how to ask questions, uh, be inquisitive and try to put myself in other people's shoes so that you can lead uh, in a really diverse, inclusive way. Uh, so those those things are all important. And so I've had a lot of a lot of opportunities. Uh, good, bad, and, and in some pretty austere, austere uh, situations to be able to uh, really affect people's lives in a thoughtful way. And so you ask that question and you kind of get down to core values, right? And I, yeah. and so let, let's, let's talk about that and then I'll give you the example. Great. Core values a lot to a lot of us are things when you walk into an institution or as the leader you're leading, you're leading a company or you're just in a leadership position. And you look on a wall and it's it's either framed or it's on a plaque or it's on a cool little banner and, it, and it's got a logo. We're going to talk about flags here in a minute. It's got a logo or a flag. And in there, there's words. And those words sound like fun, integrity, honesty, or, you know, those two are, are congruent, um, a customer focused. They pick things that are, those are things, right? Those are things or attitudes or those type of things, but they're really two dimensional. And so your core values, the things that you carry around every day, the things that you say, right, which is what your people hold you to, have to be three-dimensionalized appropriately. So I'll give you an, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I put myself through nursing school uh, as I went through my medic time. And, you know, I started as a medic and, and we'll talk a little bit about my combat time and my medical experiences. And this is one of them. Through my journey, I went to what was called advanced medical school, advanced medic school. And it's like the third year of medical school and they teach you how to take care of your own patients, run your own pharmacy, you run your lab, you run your x-ray. And it's, sometimes that's all on a backpack and you're out in the middle of the jungle with people and you're it. You are the doc and, and they call you the doc. Wow. And sometimes this is on a mountaintop in the middle of nowhere, guarding nuclear weapons, or it's out in the jungles of South America uh, doing drug interdiction and those type of things. And those are two examples of things that I did. So the Air Force core values that I grew up with were our um, integrity, service, and excellence. Integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all you do. Those are words, right? And yeah. they're powerful words. Those are those are powerful words because when you talk about excellence, you have to define that. And as a leader, you have to thoughtfully define what each of your core values are. But boy, you got to live them, Chris. You have to live them because people hold you to that. If they see you deviate from that, then all of a sudden your standards start to drop. Oh, yeah. So when you pick a core value, I'm going to talk about integrity here in a minute. When you pick a core value and you decide that that's going to be what you live by, like integrity, that's tough. That's We struggle every day as we just go from here to the grocery store and back. You, you told me you just finished walking the dog. You make certain decisions just when you're walking the dog and how you cross the street. Do I go down to the crosswalk or can I cross right here just because there's no traffic coming and, and what's legal? You 
58 miles an hour in a 55 is actually a breach of integrity, correct? Sure. So that's a that's a powerful thing. So I'm on a mountaintop in Turkey. Uh, it's it's the beginning of Desert Storm, the very first Gulf Gulf War. It's the beginning of Desert Storm. I'm with 125 Americans out in the middle of in the middle of a Turkish base. So 125 Americans, Turkish city of about 500,000 people on a Turkish base, which was a great assignment, by the way. Turkey, I loved it. Uh, it's the holiday time. It's Christmas time. I'm the medic on the dock, and I'm actually on call. There was two of us there. I'm actually on call. So so no beer, no wine. Um, you know, I've got my stethoscope in one hand, and if somebody needs something, I'm there to take care of it. Sure. Well, one of my guys was sick. He had a kidney infection. He's a, and that's a serious thing in men. You know, he had a kidney infection. and So I took him down. I took him down to the to my uh, aid station. I did the exam on him, did the labs on him and everything. And, and I knew he had a kidney infection, needed some antibiotics. Well, the way the job worked was that required a phone call to a physician. Uh, so this place, this other base that I would call to had three physicians, two young guys who were great and an older physician that was actually the commander. He was the leader of the organization, beloved leader of the organization. Well, on this night, he happened to be on call. The commander happened to be on call. So we talked about it, started the treatment on the on on the individual. But he asked me to send him to his base to take a look at him uh, for a couple of days. So I did that. So in the morning, I got him started on everything and I sent him off and, and he went down and he came back and he was better and he was very appreciative. Well, the next day he shows up with his supervisor and uh, his supervisor says, I want you to listen to his story because it doesn't sound right. So this young man decides to starts to describe to me the physical examinations that he went through while he was, while he was down with this, this Colonel. And it sounded like sexual assault to me, Chris. Now I'm a young guy, I'm an E5, I'm probably you know, barely 30. And uh, the medicine that I was practicing is like being the plankton in the sea of medicine. I didn't have a medical degree. I didn't have a you know, certificate, made me a doctor, or PA or a nurse practitioner. Uh, but our type of medicine was congruent with those, those things. Mm -hmm. And so I had three, three things cross my mind. One was, I could have said, I'll take care of it, made some phone calls, kind of got a feel for what was going on and, and went from there. I could have uh, made it a little bit more official and called one of his fellow docs and said, what's going on? Or I could have reported it. Well, the, the first two are, are a lot easier. The third one's the right way. So I chose the right way to do it. It's the integral way. Yes. It's living the integrity piece. So uh, we reported it. It went back down to the base. The investigation starts, and this thing blows up. Well, the two younger docs I had this great relationship with. They were training me. They were learning from me. I was learning from them. It just was this, it was wonderful. We were doing really, really good stuff for a lot of people, helping people and just getting them in the right place. And that relationship in a matter of about 24 hours turned sour. And I got attacked. And I got told what I didn't know. And I got told I was young. And I got told to be careful. And be careful what I said and who I said it to. And, and basically berated. Almost like take it back. Uh, the place where I was at, the non-medical people kind of rallied around me. Because I was their doc. I took care of them. They rallied around me. So I had some support. But... In the exterior world out there, in my medical world, you know, in a young career, 
I took a beating. It was pretty, pretty brutal. Well, this went on for a couple of months. And then the investigating officer called me uh, from this other base. And he said, he said, Dave, I need to tell you something. He said, we're enough far enough into this investigation. I can let you know, and we're probably going to need your help. But he said, since you've raised this issue, people have come out of the woodwork, men and women, that have had the same experience. And we're going to charge the colonel. And so the colonel was charged, and he was actually flown to Germany to a higher military court and prosecuted and sent to prison. None of that was easy, Chris. It sounds noble, and that the story's in the book. And the, the story's not in the book to sound noble. It had, that really has nothing to do with me. Uh, the title of the chapter is make the, make the Tough Call. So, so when you ask that question and you hedge on, on integrity, that one always pops straight to my mind because that was one of the more difficult things that I had to do professionally as a leader. I was in a leadership position. Yeah. You know, when you're in medicine, especially in the military, but when you're in medicine, uh, it just amazed me once I started taking care of patients. I can tell you things like, take off all your clothes, I'll be back in five minutes, and I want you to touch your toes five times. And you won't even think twice about it. You'll just do it. You may think it's crazy I made you touch your toes five times, and, and I probably will, will explain it to you, but you'll do it ahead of time just because of that intrinsic trust. So as leaders, when you're reflecting, when you're when you're kind of sitting back and saying, hey, what can I do better as a leader, or am I doing well as a leader? Self-evaluation. You should do a little bit of that. You should always fight for feedback, too. Boy, run back to where what you value, what you want your people to value, whatever it is in your organization. It may just be quality. It may just be an A-plus product. If you value that, then is everything that you're demonstrating the same way? So don't want an A-plus product that has no grease on it, that all the stitching's done right, whatever it is, right? Don't, don't want that A-plus product and have people walk into your office and you've got a hole in your chair and the arms are all worn out. And, you know, you have to have an A-plus environment to, to set, that, set that standard. So I hope that helps. It does. And I think your story to me is a great example of a value that's in alignment with a higher principle. You know, people have all kinds of values. Some of our values are more like archetypes of greater principles. And integrity to me is one of those. And I think it's a great example of how acting in accordance with these higher principles that you value is not about the external reward, because sometimes it's going to be the exact opposite of that. Yeah, I write, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see in the book that at the end of each chapter, I write a little one-liner, thoughtful, kind of just seeds that call them nuggets, just little nuggets. And the one thing that I write in there is, um, is uh, the right way is sometimes the hard way and it's lonely. And, and that's okay. That's okay because on the back end you've got it. You've got to come out on the right end of that. So, so yeah, integrity. The word meets the principle of integrity, which means which is the three dimensional actionable piece of that. Which is uh, it's a big sure. deal. Well, it unfolds through stories because it's a it's a lot to grasp with just a word. But when you unpack it and ask, you know, what what are my personal rules? For living up to this principle, in this case, integrity. How do I how do I know that I'm living with that, and how would I know if I'm not? So you create this internal compass, and it's not about the external reward, although that tends to come eventually. But that's not why we do it. It's 
it's to me one of the intrinsic rewards of leadership. And that's part of my personal mission is to awaken more of the intrinsic rewards of leadership. And you've shown a lot of that from what I'm seeing. And I haven't read your book yet. I'm going to, but I've seen reviews of it. And people, right. people love the storytelling. You love the conciseness of giving back. Right. And so give us another example of a story that resonates with a, a principle that you hold. Well, so I, you don't know what you don't know, so you need to find out, Chris. And, uh, and this is in the book too, and I, I probably need to rewrite this chapter and even get a little bit more detailed. When we, when we navigate through life, we have a prism, right? And we, were, we operate through that prism. And sometimes, sometimes we don't even realize that it's, it's, we navigate through a straw, we're a little bit myopic. And we should, sure. we should just based on the on the way we look, the way our parents taught us, who we grew up with, what was in our environment, we are naive, right? right? And, and so it's the it's the Johari's window, you know, the Johari's window thing. If you're familiar with that, if not, it's worth looking up. But uh, you know, it, there's the there's the things that you know about yourself that nobody else knows, and there's the things that other people know about you that you don't, and then there's the stuff that you don't know and nobody else knows. And so as you navigate through life, your, your aperture gets, gets widened, whatever it is, raising kids, buying a house, a new job, going to college, all of those things kind of broaden us. Well, I think this, this development of, um, of, of empathy and respect are so foundational to everything we do, but in, in, in a thoughtful leadership way, it should be always in the forefront of your mind. This is not a tool that you pull out when you need it. This is not one of those counseling tools or I'll be more empathetic or I'm high directive or I'm more supportive. It's not a tool. It's not a leadership tool. It is, an, it is a leadership trait. It's a human trait that if you want to retain your people and you want people to be happy and you want people to trust you and you want people to be integral, doing things the right way when you're not there, they have got to understand two things. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care about them. So that's a caring thing, which lends to respect, which means you have to respect where they come from. So Dave leaves home at 19 after, you know, working on the farm and goes to the United States Air Force. And so Dave takes his, his jokes, his vocabulary, his prism of the world, his background. I grew up in a Portuguese uh, Mexican community. Uh, most of the Mexicans were, were migrants. They were illegals at the time. And, and I worked side by side in the field with them and grew up with them, went to church with them, did all those type of things. And a very strong Portuguese community. I'm an immigrant. I'm a fourth generation immigrant from Portugal. So, so that was my, my foundation. That's what I meant. Mm -hmm. Well, I show up in a barracks in San Antonio, Texas in basic training. And the majority of the people in my barracks are either from upstate New York or inner city Philadelphia. So Chris, and this is in the book. So Chris, one day, I'm, they, they made me a student leader. They made, I guess they saw some leadership in me way back when. They made me a student leader. So I'm leading these 12 guys. Get them through basic training. Sure. Get them to eat on time, dress right, do all the things. Uh -huh. you know, help out the training instructor. And we were having trouble getting out on time, and a guy was having trouble making a bed. 
And, and so we're struggling with it. We're working together. We're being a team. We're struggling with it. He's on one side and he's on the other. We really needed to go. And he says, I can't get this done. I can't get the bed made. And I turned to him and in my perfect vernacular that I grew up with, I threw the N word in there, said, not Jerry rig, but N rig it. Totally oblivious to all of that and went on about my business. Well, I got a visit from a couple of real, I got such, you want to talk about such a gift. I got a gift from two people that I had just, you know, I had just recently been there. I just recently met. These are older guys. They were prior army guys coming into the Air Force. And they came and sat down with me and they, they said, what's your problem? And I said, well, I don't have a problem. And they said, yeah. They said, they played it all out. And they said, you know, this is how this is perceived. And Chris, sitting there on my bunk and just before Christmas of 1994, I made a promise to myself that if I didn't know something, I was going to go find out. And I have put myself in the most uncomfortable situations, you know, in, in, on purpose uh, to learn about people. And so as a leader, when you're hiring people and, and they come from all walks of life and they have different marriage issues and kid issues and, and they bring all the baggage from their formative years and psychology things. We'll talk, you know, if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about my PTSD, but but they come from all different walks of life. And so as I as I, I put it in the book, you can look across the room, Chris, at somebody, just let's say it's, a, it's an extremely obese woman. You can stand 25 feet away from her and make these assumptions. She's lazy, she eats too much, uh, she's got, uh, um, you know, she's got a variety of other problems. You can just label her however you want to label. Or you can go up and say, hey, how you doing? And start a conversation. And in five minutes, not, not ask why she's overweight, just in five minutes, just by showing some interest, find out that she used to be a model and, uh, and she can show you a, a magazine cover. But since she's had this rare form of cancer, which kills her metabolism and she can't process food, she's gained 150 pounds. Whole different perspective. Right. Whole, whole different way of leading, whole different way of accommodating all of those type of things. And so if we don't operate, uh, you know, in the core, in the, in, the, in the core environment on an everyday basis as leaders in a thoughtful manner, if we don't operate from that level of respect and understand if you don't know something, doggone it, go explore it to the point where you can actually build some empathy. You might find out that you're right, and that's fine. But I will tell you, odds are you're going to find out something you didn't know, and it's going to change your perspective. Well, I love this. And I like the feedback a couple parts, both as an advocate for the listener from the analysis standpoint and, and also just to confirm it. Part of this is, having a growth mindset that life is about growth. Life is about learning. Part of it is about shedding the skin, so to speak of our conditioning that we grow up and we have ideas of what the world is and what, who we are. They're given to us from other people. And these are nothing but ideas, but we act on them structurally as if they're the world until, and unless we start to question our own beliefs question our own model of the world and question how we look at things. And part of that is heart-centered, you know, it's caring about other people. 
so that we have a powerful reason, again, a, a principle that can be of value, that when we value that principle of caring about others, brotherhood, sisterhood, you know, humanity, whatever we want to call it, that gives us an impetus for a reason to shed the skin of our old beliefs by questioning how we think about things. Yeah. Yeah. And you need help. If you surround yourself with people that, that, you know, lend some, some diversity, uh, that care about you in the same way that you care about them, boy, they, everybody just starts growing and you can have some really difficult conversations without emotion, without anger, any of that type of stuff, just to, just to put you in a thoughtful, in a thoughtful way. Yeah. The introspection is huge. And, and it seems like you see leadership partly as living up to holding universal principles as values, my words there, right. uh, so that you're a model of those values for your people. And isn't that more powerful than what you quote, tell them to do unquote. Sure. It comes down sure. to it. Well, the, the telling, the directing, the telling, the here's what we're going to do today. Here's how we need to get this stuff done. That just becomes innocuous communication within an organization when they look at you and they're always wanting something. Sometimes when I speak, Chris, most times when I speak, I one or two people in the room, I speak to a lot of geriatric millennials, you know, these almost 40 somethings now. And uh, almost always somebody in the, in the room will, uh, will peel off and grab me and then phone numbers are exchanged and they stick with me. They, you know, they're, they, they text me and we talk and, and they want ad advice on things. And it's because of, it's because of that, because I, by the time I'm done talking, the barriers are all gone. They can, they can cry a little bit and they can say, I'm a girl in a guy's world and I'm, ha I'm having trouble climbing the ladder and, and, you know, and those kind of things. And, and I truly appreciate that because, you know, you have to, we far, far too often, I think as leaders, we think that we're, we're leading people to get a product produced, but whatever that is, it's not. When you get put in a leadership position, your product is the people. And it matters. You know, I, I'm going to speak here um, at a summit. Um, it's the it's the um, Fame and Profit Summit, 1 through 3 November. And I'm one of the 40 speakers. And the speakers are all cover all those genres. And one of the things that I'm going to, I'll tell you the story here in a minute. One of the things that I'm trying to get across to these business people is your first product is your people. You can have an A-plus product if your people are leaving you. We are going to be realizing, statistically, we're going to be realizing a 57% turnover rate nationally within our organizations. Wow. This next, yeah. So just think every two people that you hire in a year, one of, them, one of them's leaving or one point something are, are leaving. And think about the cost I, to society with all this. I work with a chief executive here, uh, here in town and his turnover rate all through COVID and even now is 11%. And when he gets asked why, he says, it's culture. But who sets the culture? Yeah. And, and they don't hire people because their resume is better. They don't hire the Harvard guy versus the city college guy. They hire that guy or gal based on how they fit with the culture. And it's, and it's, and it's related to staying. So, yeah. 
I, I, I just, I've done it, Chris. I, I, I've, I've screwed it up and I've seen the results and I've worked really hard at this and I've seen the results. And, and I think that, you know, not that I've written a white paper, but I think scientifically. It's <laughs> well, you brought up a great aspect, a great topic that I think is really important to the type of people I found listening to this podcast, culture. You know, even if you're a solopreneur, you are working to build an audience and that group mind, so to speak, that grows around an audience that is centered on the leader is going to have a certain culture. So what, what can you say, say to that, whether you're leading an organization or you're leading an audience on your own or with a small team or leading thousands of employees about how to imbue a culture with the types of principles and values that you'd like to see? So that leads into the flag behind me. Let's talk about that. Okay. That, that is about a culture. And there's, there's some results. There's actually statistical results with that. Takes a little bit to tell this story, but if you if you had me speaking in front of a group of people, they would get this story because it, it lends exactly to that. Yeah, let's do it. So think about so think about what we do when we're proud of something. We fly the flag, right? Sure. If you're proud of the company you work for, it's on your left breast pocket. If you like a football team, it hangs off your front of your house. Right. That's part of your you identity. Know, national pride. There's we have flags for everything. Every, every movement in our country has a flag and uh -huh. we know them. it doesn't matter if you're part of the movement or not. You can see the flag and you know what those people are affiliated with. Sure. It's a big deal. Right. I, I think it's huge. I think, I think when you develop a flag and you follow a flag um, that gives a sense of belonging, you and I are immediate. If, if, if I see you and I don't know you from Adam and you've got a, a license plate thing that says Miami dolphins on it, I'm going to talk to you because I'm a Miami dolphins fan. Sure. Right. Sure. So it's automatically does this. So let's talk about that culture. Uh, in 2008, I was I was asked to go be the senior enlisted leader for the trauma center in Blotterac. Now, big job. During the surge, uh, a lot of casualties, a lot of casualties. Yeah. And the job entailed getting to a place with 235 medics. And that's everything from neurosurgeons to medical administrative people to lab techs and x-ray techs and the whole mesh mix. What it takes to run a level one trauma center. 235 medics and go do trauma medicine. So being tasked with that, you get a little bit of time to think about that. And I said, well, what, what, what do I need to do to keep my people healthy, emotionally, physically, spiritually healthy? How do I help them survive the, the traumas? You know, and, and we all left with the traumas and we've dealt with it accordingly. And that's you know, where my PTSD is derived is from just years of working in, in, in trauma medicine, emergency medicine. How do you how do you do that? And then and then how do you build, build the collective, the collective bonding? How do you bond, right? And what do you rally around on a day-to-day -day basis? What what can you do consistently? So as I'm making my way over, I'm thinking, and I thought, well, the one thing that I hate the most in the world is push-ups. I hate push-ups. I can't stand them. So I thought, you know, push-ups make me better. They make me stronger. And it's a little bit of shared pain. And, and so I said, we're going to do a lot of push-ups. We're going to do push-ups together. However I do my routine, we're going to do push-ups. And the other thing was, we're going to develop an organizational attitude. It's going to be something. 
that's going to be an organizational attitude. So when I got there and I you know, did my replacement thing, uh, my office was in some old Iraqi office buildings. I had an office or like five or six offices and the trauma center was built right onto it. So there was an actual ramp. I made a right-hand turn, a left-hand turn, went down a ramp right into the trauma bay. Now remember I'm a trauma nurse. So for the chief, for the senior guy to just go to work, just to throw on some gloves and go to work, it was very odd for everybody, but I would do it. We were busy and they needed the help and, and uh, it's what I do. So, so I would work and that was odd. That was a little bit odd for them. But my routine that I developed uh, in one of the first offices was uh, the chaplain. So I would come to work. I worked about 18 to 20 hour days. Start about four in the morning, get out of there by 1030 that night. And, and the first office, we had a chaplain. You can imagine a place with that high volume and, and you're dealing with life and death every day you need. We had spiritual assistance. Sure. And so I, so I'd go in the office, I'd get on my knees physically on my knees and I'd have them pray on me. The magic of that, Chris, was that one day it was a Jewish rabbi and the next day it was a Catholic priest and the next day it was a Baptist minister. And on, and all of the words were very similar and it was very foundational to giving me a little bit of strength. To, awesome. to my, my second stop was with the admin people and I call them admin people because that's what their, their title is. However, they're, they were heroes because they're the people that made sure that your son or daughter was probably back in your proximity after being wounded uh, within 24 to 48 hours. They're magical people. Um, so when I when I started this, I said, okay, we're going to do some push-ups. I said, I'm not going to stress you all out because I know you probably ate push-ups too, but we're going to do five, just five push-ups. We're going to start with five. So everybody would stop what they were doing and we would do our five push-ups. Well, Chris, when you're when you're a leader, people want to know one thing, and it's it's an innocuous question. It's very very simple question. Uh, but when people ask you how you're doing, your answer matters. Yeah. And so after those push-ups, usually the question would say would be, "How are you doing today, Chief?" And I would say, "I'm maximum fabulous." And they would react kind of like you did. They'd get a little smile and they'd say, what in the world do you mean? And I said, hey, listen, Maximum Fabulous is the top hierarchy of the attitude scale. And that's what I choose to be. Now, I will tell you that I will not always be at Maximum Fabulous, but that's where I'm going to get. And that's where I need to be every single day. So push-ups, push-ups, push-ups. And by the time we've gone through months of this, we're doing, I'm, by the time I get to breakfast, I'm at 140 to 160 push-ups. Uh-huh. And, and everybody's asking me how I've done. And my answer has been maximum fabulous. And then in turn, when I would walk into places later on, I'd say, how's everybody doing? They would all yell maximum fabulous. Uh-huh. And I'd say, really? And somebody would have normally say, no, I'm not there. I'm not. I'm having a rough day, but I'm going to get to maximum fabulous. And we would work it. To include sometimes when they'd be on the phone with their parents, I would take their phone away and talk to their mom or dad. And we would talk a little bit about, about this attitudinal thing. So that went on for quite a while. Uh, well, it went on for the entire tour. And when it came time to leave, uh, my boss and I were talking and, and he said, he says, chief, he says, you're leaving. We want to send you off with something. What do you want? Well, I told him I wanted the American flag that was in the top of Heroes Highway. So I'll explain that. Heroes Highway was a short tented off area that went from the helicopters from the medevac helicopters where we brought the wounded off. By the way, I didn't mention our wounded consisted of everything from two month old children 
to the enemy, to families, to, you know, civilians and families, to our men and women in uniform and our international partners. Uh, so that's that's a rough clientele for sure. dealing with what we're dealing with. So these giant American flags in Heroes Highway, uh, huge. You and I couldn't pick it up. It'd take about four or five people to hold it when it was folded up. It's gigantic. Uh, they would be cycled out when they would get dirty. And he said, you're not going to get one of those flags. He said, those flags are spoken for um, all over the nation to, to go to these, to go to these uh, museums. So if you go to a medical, a medical science museum in Washington, D.C., you'll see these flags. So, and, and I joked, I said, I know, I, I said, but, you know, I can ask. See, the thing behind the flag was is if you got to that spot and you could see that flag, our survival rate, Chris, was 99.5%. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you that that was a little higher than some of the other rotations that went through there. And I think that the difference was maximum fabulous. And I'll tell you why. He said, if you can't have that flag, what do you want? And I said, I want the flag off the top of the hospital that's been there since I've been here. That's the white American Red Cross, Red Crescent flag, the one you see behind me. Uh, I, that's the Geneva Convention flag that flies up there that says, don't bomb us because we're a medical facility. That's the kind of our way of saying that, and it's required. Um, the, the cross is self-explanatory. That's Western religion. The, the crescent is the, is the Middle, Eastern, Middle Eastern religion. And he said, Chief, there's, there's, there's more of, but there's just, you know, there's, they're, they're not in, 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 high, in high productivity. It's hard to get those. And I said, I know, sir. I said, just give me a bologna sandwich and a pat on the back. I said, I'm happy. We've done well. And, and, uh, and you know, I'm proud of the folks. And we just had some amazing numbers and some amazing thing happened. And I could go on forever, um, even though I, you know, experienced my own level of trauma. Well, when the time came to go away, they gave me the flag. And I don't know if you can see it very well, Chris, but at the top, there's my name. And then underneath, that's the, the name of the hospital that we were at. And underneath, that's the date and times that I was there. And then the last two words on that flag are maximum fabulous. That's awesome. So, so that was free, Chris. That didn't require a board meeting. It didn't require policy. It didn't require a change in, in any legal documents. It didn't require, you know, 19, 19 working groups. It was free. It was, it was a genuinely demonstrated organizational attitudinal culture that was laid in that directly resulted in lives being saved. Well, I love that both from the humanitarian perspective and as a shining example of what I think is part of really the core of leadership, whether that's what we call thought leadership when we're leading people to a new perspective or new talking points about something or leadership of an organization in general is that the best way to lead and it, that supplies to sales applies to marketing whatever it is that you're leading people to what state of consciousness do you want to have them associate with that and then be a shining example of that maximum fabulous and by being a shining example of the state of consciousness, a state that you want to lead people to, to have them associate with your perspective, to have them associate with your humanitarian cause, your product or service, your book, then be a shining example of that as you talk about, you transfer that to people. And that ends up being 
and uplifting dynamic all its own, where the communication itself adds value because it's heartfelt. Right. And it doesn't have to, the words don't have to be maximum fabulous. They, you know, you can, what, I always ask people, what are your version of push-ups, and what is your version of maximum fabulous? Yeah. You'd be surprised. A lot of good leaders, um, you know, people that I would consider good leaders because after I've talked to their people, I can get an assessment for for how they're perceived. A lot of good leaders, though, have really they really struggle with those two questions because they haven't spent the time on it. You remember at the beginning of the story, I told you that once I was selected, I started to think on it. I didn't wait till I was there in this chaos and helicopters and trauma and life-saving and, you know, a lot of, a lot of visuals that are really tough to, tough to absorb and then decide on maximum fabulous. I was there before I put my feet on the ground. So when you're starting a new project or you're starting a, a new product line or you're starting, uh, you're bringing on uh, a new division with a new division leader and, and people, or, or, you know, you're bringing on whatever that is. I think all that front end work has got to be done in a thoughtful manner, um, wrapped around, wrapped around your values, your demonstrated or three-dimensional value, wrapped around your values, mm -hmm. wrapped around your principles. Right. And then, and then with, a, with, with your appropriate vision articulated in a way that can be understood. And then this thing, this thing that everybody attaches to, um, so e even today, even today, people that did, that was in 2008, Chris, even today, people that were there with me will say maximum fabulous. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's, so it's, it's a brand <laughs> it is. And, and it's got a symbol and it's magnetic and it's a state of consciousness that conveys through that. So it's about alignment in a sense too, isn't it? Is is walking your talk, right. having immutable principles as your values and then communicating that in imagery in words in everything you say and do and you you mentioned a little bit about your own personal challenges is that mm -hmm. something you'd like to talk about with ptsd and how you've dealt sure. with that as a as yeah. a personal example of overcoming setbacks and challenges yeah. So when I, when I speak of, I have slides up, you know, the, the obligatory introductory slide, you know, here's Dave and this is what I am. The last two things on that slide are, I have PTSD and I get help for that. We'll talk about that. And um, I quit drinking five years ago and it was the best decision I ever made. Right. So my journey with my journey, my marriage, as I call it, my, my married relationship with alcohol is in the book. Uh, and in fact, I've had some dear friends that were even older than me. One of them called me after he read the book and he said, I just finished apologizing to my wife for living with a drunk all these years and I quit drinking. So, so there's some, there's, there's some power in that. And it, and it plays to this other conversation. Chris, we lose 22 veterans a day to suicide in this country. Yeah. We probably lose close to that with our rural farmers. Farmer suicide and veteran suicide are very, very similar. It's a big deal. Here in Montana, it's huge. We're way statistically, we're way disproportionate to the rest of the nation on the on the on the bad side of the statics, the stat, the stats. Um, so I'm passionate about this. I'm a nurse and I'm a medical professional and I'm passionate about it. And and to be quite honest, um, when you realize that you have these demons, uh, you can do a lot of things, but 
because of the fact that we are not in a situation men are men are worse than women i would say mostly because of our egos and we're we're scared to ask for help because we think people won't understand or there will be a stigma that goes along with it it's so far from the truth it's so far from the truth when people can start giving you small tools on on walking through your journey my my journey has to do with my visuals you can imagine i've explained all that to you my journey has to do with my visuals over a long course of time and when you think that the only people that can help you are you the self-talk thing right what you tell yourself you listen to and you believe yeah and so as as leaders you know if you if you got a little crack in your confidence right if you think you can't do something or you start to say that boy that permeates through your whole organization well it's the same way when you're leading yourself and so you got to be really careful of how you do self talk and with the right help you can really turn that around and and, and make and actually make friends with it. I, I I try to make friends with my demons every day, you know, and and, uh, and kind of keep them at bay. When they rear their ugly head, I've got some ways to compensate with it. But here's the deal about PTSD is it's not going to go away. It's not a lump you can cut out. It's not a bacteria that you can take antibiotics for. You own it. It's yours. So you got to do something with it. And there's just so much help out there, you know, veterans and otherwise. And this is not about phone numbers. You know, the nation, we've, we've come up with 988 now as an outreach number, which is great. Yeah. And and it's, uh, well, you know, it, I encourage people to, to remember that, you know, if they need help. But even beyond that, this formal help of sitting down and, and having someone in your life that can help you and picking the right people to do that is is it's a wonderful thing. So I'd like to say I'm on I'm on a better side with it. I hate it. It distracts me sometimes. It eats up some of my energy. Um, it does. It does bring back visuals and and there's things in life that after you've gone through some of that stuff that you can't unsee, unhear, and unsmell. But I would say I'm no different. Those so that I'm talking about being in in trauma emergency medicine my whole life. But it's no different than the trauma that people feel from their experiences when they're five years old or ten years old or you know you know assaults and the things that are out there in the world it's all the same and for some reason we we here's what i like to tell people if you and i were driving down the street you just got back from walking your dog if you were walking your dog and somebody was riding a bike across the street and a car hit them you would do something you would dial 911 you get a blanket you go ask them if they're okay you check on the driver you would do something you would intervene right you would do something even if you didn't even if you didn't go over and you know put your hand on a bleeding artery, you would do something. Yeah. But we walk by people with you can see people. This is a leadership thing. You can't this hard stuff, this intrusive stuff, this asking in earnest. I have a friend that she has a nonprofit called Ask in Earnest, and it's based on on her father's suicide. He was a farmer. Her father's suicide. This asking in earnest thing. When we see people that have bicycle accidents, mental bicycle accidents. We detour. We get seven blocks away from that. We do not want to intervene in that. And what I tell people is you don't have to be a brain surgeon in mental health. You have to be a first responder. You have to. There is courses that are very similar to uh, CPR for mental health first responder stuff. You know, QPR, uh, QPR training for, for, for just a layman person that can lean across and say, you don't seem yourself today. How are you doing that level? The person that is struggling 
automatically starts to heal and feel better when somebody asks that question. Is there something I can do for you? I'm a little concerned. They automatically start to feel better and they open up enough that you might save a life. So why is that not, not there? There's a whole, there's a whole piece to that. And I talk on that too, and I'm involved in some nonprofit stuff here uh, locally. And we're working on some stuff with, with, uh, with athletes and, because I think that that, you know, in the, in the, in the vein of the book and giving back, I think that's a huge piece. It is. Yeah. So speaking of the book and again, knowing our audience, what inspired you to write the book and what was that like for you? So if you can tell I'm a storyteller, right. I might okay. add a little practice. Sure. So, <laughs> so, um, so I, I lead and manage and direct. I, my, my graduate degree is in disaster and emergency management. So I do that piece too. And I lead in with examples. You know, and I, hopefully that I don't do stories as long as I normally do or we wouldn't get anything done. But I lead with stories, you know, basic examples. You know, there I was. And they're true stories. They're my stories. And they, they have outcomes that are relevant. So I had people say, hey, listen, you need to write this stuff down. And I said, no, I'm fine. And finally, it kind of dawned on me. I had an uncle die. He was 87 years old. He didn't take very good care of himself his whole life. And he died at 87. And so you do the math, right? You say, well, if I live to be as long as my uncle, I've got 30 years left. At that point in time, I was 32 years left. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so we all have nuggets in life, Chris. You know, you doing this podcast is your way of giving back in a lot of ways. We all have nuggets in life. These things that we collect, all the stuff that we've been talking about, you, 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 you have a you have a prism that's this wide, and as life goes on, it gets wider, and hopefully, it gets really wide. I've got to live all over the world. I've got to experience a lot of things and a lot of people, a lot of cultures, and so I decided, hey, some of these things need to get in a book or books. I'm working on a second one now, in a book or books that people can pick up, read quick. You know, you can read, you could probably read a chapter. You could, if you were going to bed and saying, man, I've got about five minutes to read. I'm going to fall asleep. You could probably knock out a chapter. I mean, like, they were written for that purpose. I, right? I love the bite-sized chunks. That's something some of the Amazon reviewers and their glowing praises brought up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, you know, and, and I, I'm speaking at a men's group on Tuesday and the guy that's having me come to speak to his men's group, he goes, he goes, I keep the book next to my, my chair because I don't want to, I have to go back to a certain chapter or I can go and get the, the relevant chapter of the day. So, uh, so those nuggets are all in there, and you'll when you read the 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 forward and 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 my kind of introduction in there, you'll see that it's really all about getting nuggets. If if you read the whole book and you take one thing out of there, usually when people call me after the book, they go, "This chapter resonated the most with me," or "This this nugget resonated the most with me." It's that's what it's all there for. But um, I tried to take it through kind of all genres of leadership. You know, I, we've talked about some of it culture and, and, and courage and failure. And, you know, what, what do you, what do you do when, when you fail? Um, the integrity stuff is, is all through the book. There's, there's some observations of organizations that should be stronger or should have been stronger than they were, but some of the leaders made some really, really 100 level mistakes that uh, cost the whole organization and sent the, sent the culture in a, in a, in a bad direction. So, so I wrote the book for that. I, I, have, you know, I was raised by my mother as an only child. And so my grandparents played a huge part in my life. They were extremely giving people with no education that made it, made it, made it pretty well, uh, you know, in the farming industry. 
and I and all they did was give back. And, uh, and in fact, when I leave here, I'm getting together with a buddy who I grew up with in this little town in California who's actually living in Billings, Montana with me now. He was a year behind me in high school. And I'll tell you how small the town was and, and about giving back. My grandfather gave his father his first loan to grow his first orange orchard. And my grandmother was one of the women of the church that went over and did physical therapy on his special needs daughter, who's alive today and can walk because of the efforts of those women. That's awesome. And so that was my foundation on giving back. So I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go to the grave with the nuggets, Chris. I'm going to put them out there and let people do with them whatever, whatever they need to. And hopefully it's all for positive. Oh, that's awesome. I look forward to reading it. And I'm going to put, of course, a link to the book in the podcast description, and which will be on the episode page. So if you're listening to this on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, just scroll down a bit. If you're on the app, there's, there's a link in the description. And you do speaking as well, I understand. Sure, sure. And then, you know, my website's one man, uh, one plan MT for like Montana, one man, one plan MT.com. And you can go on there. You'll find out more about me. The book stuff is on there. Uh, and then there's a, there's a thing that says work with Dave and you can write me a note if you're interested and, in, uh, and in having me speak or come and even just, uh, you know, do an organizational assessment. I help with that, those type of things or anything in emergency management. And that's for the preparedness pieces and the community stuff. So, uh, but yeah, as far as, as far as the book and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, like I said, I've got some speaking things lined up and I, uh, and I'm, I'm tied in here locally with uh, mentorship and development. Uh, even if it's just a, you know, a little, little free 10 minute phone call just to get you energized, you know, I'll, I'll do those things. And so, that's awesome. yeah, just reach out to me. Uh, I'm available. It's great. It's great. You know, the one thing, Chris, the, the little subtitle on that, on the sub subtitle on that book is leaders are anointed and appointed only by their followers and peers. That's right. And, and, and your, your show is called thoughtful leadership. And so those that are tuned in because they want to be more thoughtful leaders, I, I hope that they dwell on that a little bit. Sometimes you get too, too attached to what's on our name badge or our, you know, our CEO or our, you know, directorship or, or whatever it is. And, and I think the riches in leadership are, are the words that your followers use to describe you. That's very cool. Appreciate that. And you're working on another book. Anything you want to say about that? I am. Yeah. So I, you know what? I, I'll tell you that the title is probably going to say something like, why are all the cows laying down? And there's a, there's a whole thing on the farm that when all the cows are laying down, it's kind of a warning sign for weather. Oh, wow. People, okay. people will say, people will say that it's a, uh, People will say that it's a it's a wives' tale. I don't know. On the farm, I, every time the cows laid down, there was always a crack of lightning. So, uh, so I'm a believer. Yeah. Well, organizationally, you need to you need to understand what that means and those subtle signs and symptoms, uh -huh. because I think a lot of people are leaving organizations and quitting the leaders. They're, you know, and the, the subtitle to that would be why 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 people are quitting you, the leader. Um, and it it goes more into these detailed examples of of farm life. Sure. And how it's played out in my life um, and uh, and why people leave good people, leave organizations with all your all the experience that they have and those type of things. And I think it's valuable for leaders to be introspective on that side because we don't always get it right, but we always have an opportunity to um, to change and, and, and be better. So. And noticing those subtle things. I, I love the example of the cows. I've actually seen research that fascinated me about how animals would respond 
before an earthquake in ways we just haven't yeah. really been able to fully explain. Yeah. They can sense something we can't and attuning to notice these subtle things that maybe don't have a logical explanation but can let us know we're, we're on track for leading from the heart, making a positive difference or maybe there's something else I need to attend to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been awesome. Yeah, appreciate it. Thought Leadership Studio. Well, that was David Nordell, author of Giving Back, Life and Leadership from the Farm to the Combat Zone and Beyond. I'm loving this book. You'll love it too. You should get it. The link is on the episode page at thoughtleadershipstudio.com. If you're listening on an app, then the link to that episode page is on the episode description. So check it out. Also, you're going to want to check out David's website, onemanoneplanmt.com, also on the episode page. I appreciate you being a listener. If you haven't subscribed to Thought Leadership Studio, please subscribe. And if you haven't yet gotten the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, it will give you insight into the building blocks of building your own strategic thought leadership for audience building, for increasing your sales, for increasing your conversion, for having a greater impact with every communication you do, and it's free. Just go to the episode page and download it. If you are looking to really enhance the power of your communication, the marketing results of your organization, I'm offering a free 30-minute brainstorming session. The link is on the episode page, which is in the episode description. Let's talk. Love to talk to you. In any thanks again for listening. This is episode 25 of Thought Leadership Studio, the interview with David Nordell, author of Giving Back, and looking forward to you coming back for the next episode next week. Thanks again, and see you then. Thought Leadership Studio.